This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Philippians chapter 1, again, we find ourselves, Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. It was a church that he started on his second missionary journey. Uh, He started this church, pastored it for a while, moved on. And about 10 or 11 years later, he writes a letter back to them. Uh, to encourage them and all that they've done and everything that they're doing there. And, and really, uh, there's no sharp rebukes here. There's no correction of false teachings. Just a lot of joy and gratitude uh, in this letter that Paul writes. And as he writes, he writes from prison, which will be key. It's going to be really important to what we're taking a look at today uh, because he finds himself in less than favorable circumstances. He's not in prison because he did anything wrong. He's actually in prison because he did what was right. Uh, God told him to preach the gospel. He did, and he got arrested for it. And so uh, Paul is actually in prison awaiting trial. Now, it's not prison like you and I would think of as being in a cell block. He's more under house arrest, but he's under 24-hour surveillance, uh, a guard living with him, not allowed to leave, uh, and had his freedom taken away because of the gospel. We're going to start in verse number um, 9 this morning, Philippians 1, uh, starting in verse number 9. We're really going to spend most of our time in verses 12 through 14 this morning. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 9, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. As Paul writes, he tells the the church at Philippi, hey guys, you might have heard some bad stuff happen. Uh, Paul is in prison, he says, but no worries. It's actually a really good thing that these things are happening because the gospel is going to go further. Uh, I've already begun to see God do good things through here, and and so I don't want you to worry. It's actually been a really, really positive experience. I'm entitled today's message. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write down this thought. When your suffering advances the gospel. Nobody likes suffering. And you're in one of three categories today. You're currently coming out of a series of trials and difficulties and you're on the other side of it and you see the light at the end of the tunnel. You're in the second category where you're right in the middle of it. You're right in the thick of it. You're under a lot of pressure. You feel intensity of weight bearing down upon you and you're going through a difficult spot. And in the third category is where everybody wants to be. Everything's good. Uh, you're not currently going through a difficult time. Uh, God's been faithful, bumps along the road, but nothing major and you're, you're okay. If you find yourself in the third category of, I think everything's okay, let me just challenge you with this this morning. Buckle up, buttercup. Take really good notes today because it's coming, okay? I promise you that. Difficulties and trials are always right around the corner. If you're not going through it right now, you will very, very soon. And so I wanna challenge you, take really good notes, prepare yourself because when difficulty comes, you're gonna have a lot of questions. We're gonna answer those questions from the Bible for you today. First of all, when we view suffering as only as what's happened to us, we really have the wrong perspective. 
When difficulty comes our way, we usually begin to ask a pretty predictable progression of questions. First question, why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? Why is this happening to me? If I'm trying to love God, I'm trying to do the right thing, I'm trying to follow after him, why in the world is this happening to me? And when we do that, we really have the wrong perspective on things. Paul, as he writes here, he says, hey guys, you might have heard some things that have happened to me, no sweat, because it's not really about me. But the first thing that happens generally when suffering comes our way is we take an inward look, and it's important to understand that an inward focus is a selfish focus. Many times we just begin to look at our difficulties, our trials, our suffering as what happens to me. What effect does this have on me? I'll be the first to be honest this week whenever uh, the mayor came out and gave his uh, reopening plan uh, for the, the city and county of Honolulu, the first question I asked was, how does this impact what I want to do, right? I began to look through this and says, uh, you know, uh, the first two uh, tiers that we have here, you know, bars and nightclubs are closed. Awesome. I keep them closed indefinitely for all I care. It doesn't matter to me whatsoever. Um, and so, believe it or not, I, I really hope and pray, this is my hope and prayer for our city, is that the majority of bars and nightclubs stay closed. Uh, I believe, if God could use this time as an opportunity to root out areas of, of sin uh, in our city, man, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Go for it. I began to look at other things, though, that I was uh, a little less excited about. Uh, gyms are required to have five people or less and meet outside. Uh, my gym doesn't meet outside. It doesn't have less than five people, so I was not happy about that at all. Uh, and so I began to get frustrated with that. Uh, I noticed that nothing was said about churches. Thankful for that. Good to go. Uh, restaurants open back up. Yay. Uh, you can only have five people. I have six people in my family. Not a good thing. Uh, but they all have to be from the same household. You have to provide all of your personal information to be able to eat a meal at a restaurant. Wait, is this still America? <laughs> I'm beginning to wait a minute. What, do I, what are you going to do with all that stuff you put on that logbook? How, how do I know you're not going to take that and use it for some other purpose or somebody's going to take a picture of it? And I don't know. It just feels weird. But I begin to immediately ask myself, how does this affect me? And at any time things happen in life, our first question that we ask, what impact does this situation have on me? But many times, even as Christians, we stop there. We don't ask ourselves, what's the bigger picture? We don't ask ourselves, how does this affect other people? We're just asking about me. What does this do for me? And when we do, when we only look at our suffering in light of ourselves, it's just really a selfish focus. Paul, as he writes here, says, it's really not about me. And only looking at the immediate ramifications of our suffering is very short-sighted. We have to understand that God has a plan in everything. And God really has a plan that started before the world was created. And God's plan stretches all throughout time and space as we know it and ends in eternity future. God has a plan that lasts that long. And you and I are just a, a, a teeny tiny little dot in the big picture of God's plan. And so when we look at our suffering as only what I feel today, what I feel tomorrow, we're really being short-sighted in that. And we don't have a really good perspective of what God expects for us when it comes to the idea of suffering. If you got your Bible handy, uh, grab it and turn back to the book of, we're going to come back to Philippians 1, so keep your finger there, but turn back to Romans chapter 8, if you would. I want you to take a look at a, a couple of verses in Romans 8. If you've never had the opportunity to read through the book of Romans, I'd highly encourage you to read through the book of Romans. It's awesome. Uh, I jumped into a small group this week. Uh, I, I basically tried out all five small groups, uh, and I have my idea which one I think is the best. I'm not going to share that today, uh, but I tried all of them out this week. It might or might not be the one that I'm a part of. I'm not going to say. Uh, but uh, I had to try them all out, and we normally have like a question of the week. And one of the questions of the week in the group that I was in was, what's your favorite book of the Bible? 
Old Testament, hands down in the book of Psalms. Love it, love it, love it. If I had to choose a New Testament book, it'd probably be John or Romans. So much good stuff there. Romans is chock full of doctrine. If you've never read it, you gotta read the book of Romans. Do it, it's awesome. Secondly, if you're not part of a small group, you need to jump in one this week. It'll change your life. It's awesome. But the book of Romans chapter eight, verse number uh, 18. Take a look at that if you would. Paul says this, for I reckon. Now, pause for just a second. I grew up in the South, Kentucky. When you say reckon, it's like I'm thinking about that. Like, well, I reckon it's probably, probably should be going right about now. I reckon it's about time for lunch. I reckon we should go get something to eat. Not that kind of reckon. He's talking about an accounting term, like almost like to reconcile your, your, your bank account. Make note of, take account of, this lines up with. He says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Here's what you gotta understand about trials, difficulties, times of hardship in your life. It's not just about this moment that you're in. God's doing something in you and through you that's gonna have future benefit for you. And Paul says, what you're going through can't even be compared. It's not worthy to be compared with the future glory that's coming down the road. So really what you're going through right now is not about what you're going through right now. It's about what God's setting up for you maybe five days down the road, maybe five years down the road, maybe 15 years down the road. This difficulty that you're going through, God's using it to set you up for something that's coming. It really doesn't even compare. But many times we get, get burned out, bummed out, disappointed, discouraged, depressed, because all this is happening right now, and I can't see how I'm gonna get out of this today, tomorrow, or the next day. You're looking at the, the short-sighted view of it. God wants you to take a long view of it. Hey, God's continuing and he's working to do something in me and through me right now that's gonna have a big time payoff in the future. So don't just look at your suffering as far as what's taking place right now. God's got a bigger setup for you coming down the road. It's important to understand too that trials and suffering are ordained by God. Sometimes for a younger or less mature Christian, this is a difficult thing to wrap your head around the fact that God has already preordained your trials and suffering. God knows the difficulty that's coming. And sometimes, and again, I want you to get this, and it's hard to wrap your head around. Sometimes God doesn't just allow things to happen. Sometimes God puts suffering in your path. And again, if you're a younger Christian or maybe even a less mature Christian, you might look at that and you go, uh-uh, I reject that. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. God would never send difficulty and suffering into somebody's life. He does. And God does it for a specific purpose. And again, sometimes we don't want to know the purpose. We just want it to be over. God's doing something that you need to, to be aware of. First and foremost, trials are meant to drive us to God. Trials are meant to drive us to God. <coughs> My dad uh, owns a body shop in Kentucky, works on cars for a living, done that for 45 plus years. And uh, one of the things that, that my dad does, he likes to have little side projects that he tinkers with from time to time. And he uh, realized several years ago that, that farmers get different tax breaks and tax subsidies uh, that your average American doesn't get. So he decided to be also become a farmer and he bought cows. And so uh, he started with a couple of cows and thought, man, I, I get to be a cattle farmer for a little and be able to get some benefits that come from being a, a cattle farmer. And then at the end of the day, you get to take Aunt Bessie out to the slaughterhouse and eat steaks for the rest of the year. 
win-win for everybody, right? Less taxes, more, more steak. Love it. And so uh, over the years, he's got a couple more cows and a couple more, and uh, he has different pastures that, that he has. He takes the cows out to, to feed them, and he's big time against hormones, big time against uh, any type of chemicals, and uh, very uh, careful on the type of grass that they eat. Not grain-fed, and so he's really adamant about that. It's the difference, Anthony. I'm telling you, you can taste the difference. Okay, that's great, Dad. And so he, he said, you know, I, sometimes I have to take, he's got about uh, eight or ten cows now at this time. I got to take, I got to load them up in the trailer and take them over down the road and let them out. And I said, how in the world do you load these big, huge, massive animals in the back of a trailer and just drive them down the road? And he said, well, it starts, you get them all in one pasture together, and then you begin to fence off sections of the pasture that they can't go back. And then there's only one way they can go forward, and then you, you fence off a little bit more, and then they have to go towards the other end of the pasture, and you fence off some more. He said, and then you, you take them down to a cattle chute. It's almost like a little V. And he said, and you begin to, to push them down towards this, this V, and he says, and once they get in that track, they can't get out because there's more cows behind them creating pressure that the only way you can go is forward. And eventually, the only place you think it goes is in the back of this trailer, and you load them all up in the trailer, you shut the door, drive it down the road, open up the back of the trailer, and they all get out, and they, they're in a new pasture. And here's how, maybe it's just my, my strange mind that I have, because I'm weird, and I admit that. I, I began to think about how God takes us through times of trials, difficulties, and sufferings. And he begins to close off sections of our pasture. And it gets a little bit more crowded, and it creates a little bit of pressure that maybe a little bit uncomfortable, then he gets, begins to close off a little bit more. And then we get placed in, in a situation where there's a lot of pressure behind us and the only place that we can go is forward. And we, we're scared or we're intimidated in that time of, of pressure. And things begin to be, feel like they're closing in on us, but then we get into God's safety. The Bible says that the Lord is a strong tower in which we can run and find refuge in time of need. Maybe God drives us into that trailer only to take us down the road a little bit and open us back up into some greener pastures. I kind of view God's suffering is that way. And your trial that you're going through, that's just God closing off the pasture to get you in the back of the truck to take you somewhere else. That's how my, my redneck mind works, I guess, you know. Maybe that makes sense for you, maybe it doesn't, but I know this. Trials drive us to God on purpose. Paul, as he writes to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians, he says, the Lord gave me a thorn in the flesh and I asked God to take it from me. I don't think God, that he prayed at breakfast, lunch, and dinner that day. I think there's three seasons of times in his life that he asked God to take it away, and God says, no, I'm not. My goal is not your comfort. My goal is your dependence upon me. And he says, I asked God to take it away, and God said he wouldn't because he said, my grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is found in your weakness. So God takes us through difficulties, trials, and suffering for the purpose of bringing us to himself the goal of our suffering and trial is always the glory of God. So the goal is really God's glory. Again, we take, took a look at Romans chapter 8, verse number 18, where we're at. And you know what he says? I don't think that it's worthy to compare the present sufferings to the future glory. Do you think that glory is for you? No, no, no. It's for the glory of God. The suffering that you're going through right now is going to end up bringing God greater glory down the road. So just hang tight. God's doing something special. So the end result is God's glory. 
So when we go through difficulties and trials, we shouldn't ask, when is this gonna be over? Why has this happened to me? What's the big deal? We need to ask ourselves, God, how can I get closer to you during this time? Last fall, we took a look at a series called Affliction where we talked about 12 weeks about suffering in the sovereignty of God. We talked about how many times we do the right thing, just suffering. We're, we're walking with Jesus, we're doing the right thing, yet we still go through suffering. We took a look at unjust suffering where we're sinning against God and God uses chastisement to bring difficulty to our life to bring us back to him. We took a look at how to walk through suffering with joy. We talked about a million other things. But at the end of the day, it's all about God's glory. You see, the Christian life has very little to do with you and it has everything to do with God and his glory. So trials are meant to drive us to God. Trials are meant for the glory of God. But another goal of, of suffering and trials and difficulties is also for your sanctification. Now, sanctification, that's a good Bible word that we talked about, I don't know, four weeks or so ago. It's the idea of progressively being more like Christ, being changed, being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter eight, verse number 28, you're already in Romans eight if you turn there in your Bible. Verse number 28 is probably one of the most often misapplied and misquoted verses and uh, verses used out of context in all of the Bible. <laughs> my wife showed me a coffee mug a couple of weeks ago and uh, I asked for it, but she told me no because I have too many coffee cups. But uh, it says, uh, the coffee cup says, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. And I thought, ooh, I love that. Like, want, hello. I can do all things by a verse taken out of context. Because when the Bible says I can do all things through Christ, it doesn't mean you can open your coffee shop or become an artist or anything. It's not what it's talking about, you know. Romans 8, 28, when it says all things work together for good, dot, 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 that's not what it's talking about. You know, this is what I sometimes refer to as a coffee cup verse. It's very inspirational until you actually dig in and see what it means, and then it may or may not be encouraging to you. Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for good. That should be an encouragement Maybe, maybe not, depending on the rest of the verse. It's important, though, that it says all things. That means this thing by itself might not be good, but when it's put together with all the other stuff, it becomes good. I remember as a kid uh, going to the, the pantry, opening the pantry, there's, quote, nothing to eat in there, meaning there's nothing that I want to eat in there, right? We've got no food in this house. But I saw, not in the pantry, but in a cabinet above the stove, there's a big, huge box of Hershey's cocoa in there. It's like, hello, a whole box full of chocolate that nobody's guarding. You open it up and it's a powder form and so you just like take a big spoonful and eat it, right? That's not good at all. But I'm telling you this, you give my wife a box of that stuff, give her some powdered sugar and a whole lot of butter, she can make the best homemade icing you've ever had in your life. Like make chocolate chip cookies, ice them on the bottom and smash them with another chocolate chip cookie, heavenly. But the cocoa by itself is not good at all, but together with the other things, it makes something really good. That's kind of the idea with our suffering. By itself, it, does, it doesn't appear to have any value, but you put it with other things and it brings forth good. So all things together work for good. But notice again, verse number 28. Again, we're gonna look at the Bible in context and say what it says. Verse number 28 is known as a conditional promise in the Bible. It means not everybody, gets this promise. There's conditions. If you meet the criteria, this applies to you. If you don't meet the criteria, this doesn't apply to you. All things work together for good. To them that love God, stop. Do you love God? 
Of course I love God, Pastor. I'm in church on a Sunday morning. Of course I love God. I'm willing to wear a mask for a little while but to, to hear preaching. Of course I love God. The qualifications aren't whether or not you show up for church or whether you listen to Christian music or whether you have a Christian bumper sticker. Jesus says this, if you love me, keep my commandments. Obedience and love are always directly linked with God. Always, 100% of the time. You can't get one without the other. You can't say, I love God, but I don't want to do what he says. Jesus says, you can't call me Lord, but not do what I tell you. So love and obedience is always directly linked. If you're living in disobedient rebellion to God, you do not love God. So if you're doing your own thing, disconnected from God, you told God to get lost, you want to do your own thing, this verse doesn't apply to you. Just stop. You haven't met the conditions. This doesn't apply. But if you love God, you say, I'm not perfect, but I'm trying. I'm really doing my best. I'm trying to love God with, with, with everything that I have. I'm trying to obey him in areas that, that I can. I really want to grow. Then, then continue on because this verse applies to you. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That means those that are saved. Has there been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again? If so, this verse applies to you because you're a child of God. Now, no one is born into this world a child of God. Everyone is born into this world at odds with God. By default, no one is the called according to his purpose. Everyone is born, uh, Romans chapter five says, as the enemies of God. And because you sinned against God and because I've sinned against God, we don't get promises like this automatically. We don't get to go to heaven automatically. We automatically get punished for our sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, we get to go to hell when we die. That's the payment for our sin. Because we've sinned against the holy God, because we've broken his law, there has to be a price to be paid, and it's death, the Bible says. Not only a physical death, but a second death in hell. But God loves you so much, Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I was supposed to die, but Jesus died in my place. I was supposed to endure God's punishment, but Jesus was punished for me. I was supposed to pay, but Jesus paid instead. But you have to choose to accept God's payment. You have to choose to accept Jesus as your Savior. And the day that you do that, the Bible says you will be saved from your sin. And the Bible says that you have to be saved to go to heaven. No man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Friend, if you've never been born again, not only are you not going to heaven, you also don't get to enjoy the benefits of being a child of God like verses like this and a hundred other promises in the Bible. But if you'd be willing today to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that I've broken God's law. I believe that I can't make it to heaven on my own. And I ask God to forgive me of my sin and save me. The Bible says, just like that, you can be saved and become a child of God. It's not about becoming a Baptist. It's not about joining our church. You don't have to go to a class. You don't have to be baptized. You just have to admit, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus to forgive me of my sin. And I believe that he is the Son of God and you can be saved today. And then guess what? This promise here, is unlocked for you. All things in your life will work together for good because you love God and because you're called according to his purpose. But it doesn't stop there. Because there is a verse 28 that also is a verse 29. And we have to read the Bible in context, all of it together to tell the story that God wants to tell. Not what I want to tell. What story I want the, the Bible to say. Not the narrative I want to create of myself for the Bible. But we have to say what the Bible says. And verse 29 for says, whom he did foreknow. He did also predestinate. That means he put together a plan for your life before you were ever born. And what was the purpose? To be conformed to the image of his son. 
All things work together for good to them that love God who are the called according to his purpose because God put together a plan for you before you were ever born to help you to be like Jesus. It's funny, that doesn't fit really cute on a coffee cup. But that's exactly what Romans 28 is saying. 828 is saying. All things work together for good to help you to be more like Jesus. And it's gonna be hard, it's gonna be difficult, but just know the end result is gonna be really, really good. I often tell people, you won't enjoy the process, but you're gonna love the product. That's the idea of suffering. And notice what it says at the end of the verse. Talk to Jesus that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That means that God has a family and Jesus is the big brother. He's the firstborn son. What that means is that when you and I go through difficulty and suffering and trials, all we gotta do is look to our big brother to see how he dealt with it before us. When we need protection because we might be scared about what we're getting ready to walk into, our big brother's already walked through that and he's got our back. That Jesus is our brother and he's the big brother of the family. And he's already walked this path before and he came out on the other side victorious. And God wants to help us to be like our big brother Jesus. That's what verse 29 says. So the goal of your suffering, bring you closer to God, to bring glory to God, and help you to be like Jesus. That's it. Now, again, when we look at this passage, we need to understand that viewing suffering as part of God's sovereignty requires maturity and discernment. Just does. That's why in, in verse number uh, nine here, he says, in, in Philippians, that I want you to, actually, I think it's verse 11, he says, I want you to, your, your love to grow in more knowledge and judgment. That's why last week we took a look at discernment because these things are spiritually discerned. One of the often asked questions that people ask me about the Bible, why do bad things happen to good people? Valid question. They've got this good family, they love the Lord, and their, their child was taken away from them. How do you deal with that? I don't know. Take a good godly family who loved Jesus or killed by a drunk driver. How do you answer that? Why do bad things happen to good people? I guess the converse question could also be asked, why do good things happen to bad people? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Why do bad, good things happen to bad people? The problem is, we're bad people. <laughs> you put yourself in the wrong category. You put yourself in the good category. We're all bad people. Why does good, anything good ever happen to me? You know what the Bible tells us in the book of James? Every good and every perfect gift you have came down from your heavenly Father who loves you. If something good happened to you, it's not because you deserve it, it's because God's gracious. Why does bad things happen to good people? <laughs> to drive you closer to God for the glory of God, and help you to be like Jesus. But you take an unsafe person, they don't get that. It's very difficult to understand that. You, you take a woman who is sexually abused by her own father growing up, and she says, why would God allow that to happen to me? Because mm. he wanted to drive you to him? Because you wanted to be gracious and get glory from that? Because you want to help you to be like Jesus? Well, yeah, I don't want any of that. I know. You know why? Because these are spiritual things that can't be discerned by the unsaved man. That's what the Bible says. But we that are spiritual view this suffering is from a different perspective. God's got a plan in all this. I don't understand it. I wouldn't wish the suffering that you've gone through on my worst enemy. 
I wouldn't want anybody to go through that. But God has planned it already so that he could bring you out on the other side, getting himself glory and helping you to be more like Jesus. But for you and I to accept that takes a lot of maturity on our part. Takes a lot of discernment on our part. When suffering comes our way, we gotta to, to tell ourselves, hey, look, God's not upset with me. He's not against me. He's my father and he knows exactly what I need and I'm just gonna trust him. I don't understand it, but I know that he's faithful. He's trying to teach me through something like this. I don't wanna waste it. I wanna learn it. Just take a look at, uh, turn back to Philippians chapter one, if you would. Look at verse number 12, Paul says, but I would, you understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. You see, our suffering gives us a platform for the gospel. As he says in verse number 12 there, unto the furtherance of the gospel have fallen out means to advance. And the, the Greek word that's used there means to push forward despite blows and opposition. Think of a man running up the middle against the enemy forces in the middle of battle and he's facing great opposition as he pushes forward. That's what Paul says when he says that the gospel has fallen out or it's advanced to the furtherance of the gospel. It's been difficult. It's been an uphill push, but we're making progress. And I think Paul's saying, hey guys, don't feel sorry for me here. This is all part of God's plan. I'm trusting God through this. He's gonna bring forth something good. Keep your finger here in Philippians and turn back to Acts chapter 20. I want you to see this in your Bible too. And if you're in a habit of writing in your Bible, which I highly recommend that you do, you should underline these verses. They're solid. Paul's gathered together a group of pastors and he's talking to him before he heads over to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 20, verse number 22, he says, and now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that the bonds and afflictions abide in me. Hey, I don't know what's gonna happen, verse 23, he says, but I know this, the Holy Spirit's already wherever I'm going and he's already doing something awesome. Isn't that a great perspective? And here's what he says, verse 24, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Here's what he says, verse 24, none of these things move me. You know the test of your commitment to Christ is what it would take for you to quit. I've seen people quit on Jesus for really, really terrible reasons. Well, I lost my job, so I quit on Jesus. <laughs> no, you should redouble your commitment to Jesus. Oh, I lost my girlfriend, so I quit on Jesus. No, no, no. Now you need Jesus more than you ever have. My marriage is falling apart. I think I'm gonna quit on Jesus. No, no, no. This is when you need Jesus more. And Paul says, all the things that I've gone through, they don't stop me from from following Jesus, if anything, they help me more to follow Jesus. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I finish my course with joy. I don't even care if God takes my life. I just want to do well. I just want to do the job that he's called me to do. And my life has very little value to me. And if it has any value to God, it's 100% his to do with what he wants to. 
And he says, I just want to do the job that I was called to do. I just want to tell people about Jesus. I just want to advance the cause of Christ. I want people to know the gospel. And so Paul says, I'm in a difficult spot, but it's actually given me opportunity to tell people about Jesus. Don't worry about the difficulty that I'm going through. Just pray that people would be saved through this. Pray that people would be encouraged by my story. Pray that people would look at what, what's being done in my life and would look to Jesus. Go back to Philippians 1, if you would. Verse number 13, he says this. So that in my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. When he says in the palace, he's really talking about amongst the palace guards. The, the people that have him under house arrest there, the Roman soldiers that he has. These are the guys, he says, they see my bonds. He's not talking about chains on his hands. He's talking about the fact that his bonds are in Christ. Everybody here knows that I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of Jesus. Everybody knows here that I'm not a servant of Rome. I'm a servant of Jesus. And everybody here knows that. And I would have never had that opportunity had I not been arrested, had I not been in prison. I would never have the opportunity to tell people these things. And not only here in the palace, he says, and in other places. Everywhere I go, I got the opportunity to talk about what Jesus has done for me. During Paul's imprisonment, he met several Jewish people. He had the opportunity to lead to Christ. He met a man by the name of Onesimus, who is key to writing the book of Philemon. Never read the book of Philemon, really short. They see Onesimus was a runaway slave who met Paul, got saved, and Paul writes a letter back to his slave owner. Say, hey, I'm sending Onesimus back to you, but he's not your property anymore. He's your brother in Christ. Treat him as such. If he owes you anything, I'll take care of it when I come. Paul wrote, met Onesimus while he was imprisoned. Had many other people who had the opportunity to come and sit with him while he was in prison and to maybe write some of his letters for him, act as a scribe or to dictate for him. He says, hey, this opportunity I have to be in prison, it's a golden opportunity. I'm gonna make good use of it. You see, a joyful Christian testimony during suffering is a powerful gospel witness. When God takes you through a time of difficulty and suffering, you can sit and sulk. You can get mad at God. You can cross your arms and be mad at him. Pout if you want to. But just know none of that draws people to Christ. But when you and I face difficulty and suffering and you say, well, I wouldn't have picked this path for myself, but God chose it for me. I trust him. I'm just going to continue to praise God. I'm going to continue to have joy. I'm going to continue to, to trust him every step along the way. I'm gonna keep spending time in the word, spend time in prayer, have opportunity to tell people about how good Jesus is. That translates so far into what you're trying to communicate. You see, God wants you to be an example of how to suffer well. When people see your life and they know that you're a Christian, you know, know that you're going through a difficulty, you have an opportunity to teach a really, really good lesson. If you call yourself a Christian, you're always teaching somebody something, always. It's been said before that your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. People care far more about what you do than what you say. I remember as a kid, my dad telling me, Anthony, I don't ever want you to smoke cigarettes, ever. It'll kill you, it's nasty, it's a filthy habit. 
and he handed me a $10 bill. Go to the store and grab me a carton of cigarettes. Okay. This is back in the day when 10-year-olds could go to the store and buy cigarettes. And so I would. I need, I need a carton of Salem, you know. Go there and buy my dad's cigarettes, bring them back out, fire them up. Don't ever do this. That just never jived with me. I never smoked because it was nasty and filthy and it couldn't breathe. But it would be, you know, the middle of winter and 15 degrees outside where got, got the window cracked on the car. Dumb. Just doesn't make sense. I never smoked. But I always thought to myself, how are you going to sit there and smoke cigarettes and tell me I can't smoke cigarettes? It just doesn't make sense. We as Christians say, oh, you know, you should get right with God. What you're doing is just sin. But yet we continue in our own sin and think, don't think twice about it. You're always teaching something if you claim the name of Christ and people are watching. Unfortunately, I've had the opportunity to talk to people before and say, uh, you know, I'd like to tell you about Jesus and how you can know for sure when you die you're on your way to heaven. Oh, is this about being a Christian? Yeah, actually it is. Yeah, I work with a guy who's a Christian. Cusses, shows up late to work, has the filthiest mouth of anybody you've ever heard, cheats on his wife. Yeah, I don't want none of that. Hmm. I'm sorry to hear that. What you described doesn't sound like a Christian to me at all. If that guy says he's a Christian, he's definitely not living the Christian life. Sorry to hear that. You know, we have, we have someone who claims the name of Christ who's teaching a, a terrible lesson. I want my life to teach a good lesson. I know this guy went through a really difficult spot, but man, he had a good attitude about it. Always had a smile on his face and always said that God was good. I didn't understand it, but it was something to watch. You see, we're always teaching a lesson. The question is, what lesson are you teaching? God wants you to be an example of, here's how it's done. Here's how you suffer well. Here's how you walk through difficult times in your life, yet still have joy. And Paul was that example for us. Hey, guys, it's me, Paul, writing from prison. You might feel sorry for me, but please don't. It's all good. I have opportunities to share Jesus that I never had before. And this is actually a really, really good thing. Next, God wants to put his grace on display alongside your own hurt. God wants to show what it's like when Christians get handed a bad hand. Oh, this is how we take that and turn it into something really good. This is how we take difficulty and turn it into victory. This is how we take a terrible situation and actually make it draw us closer to God. Psalm 51, David has sinned against God with Bathsheba and he writes a, a psalm of repentance. If you've never read through Psalm 51, it's a classic song, a psalm on what to do when you're broken by your own sin. So David writes Psalm 51. It is, oh, it's classic. But you know what he says at the end? When I'm on the other side of this, I want to take this experience and actually teach other people what not to do. I want other people to know your grace. When I'm on the other side of this, he realized at that point he, had, he didn't have a leg to stand on. He couldn't teach anybody anything. He was still learning himself, but he recognized, when I'm on the other side of this, I want to show people how to walk through times like this and actually come out better. And God wants the times that you go through difficulty and suffering to use that as an opportunity to show how good he is. Verse number 14, he says this, and many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident in my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see, our faithfulness in suffering makes others bold. <clears throat> Other English translations of the Bible in verse number 14 says, many brethren in the Lord are made confident by my bonds. I like the 
the King James, the way that it says waxing, because it's almost like a process that they're going through of continually in the present tense being made bolder and bolder and bolder, waxing confident. I like the idea behind that. That when you and I do things God's way and we walk through times of difficulty with joy and with faith, trusting God and doing it God's way, it actually encourages other people day by day as they see us doing the right thing. And Paul says, while I've been here in prison, other people are actually more bold now to share their faith. And that's a good thing, guys. There's a book that we have in our uh, bookstore written by my pastor. Uh, it came out last summer called Outsiders. It's a story of 15 men after the Bible who suffered great things for the faith as we know it today. If you've never read it, you gotta read it. It's a quick 15-story biographical sketch about 15 guys who changed the world. But there's a lot of suffering there. There's a man by the name of John Wycliffe who began to translate the Bible into English. He didn't finish his work. He got started a really good start and was persecuted by the Catholic Church as a result of it. They tried to bring him up on trial and couldn't get the charges to stick and they tried to put him to death but they couldn't and he died by natural causes before they could actually persecute him. And because they hated John Wycliffe so much, they dug up his bones out of the cemetery, burned them and threw them in the river because he dared to translate the Bible into English. I owe John Wycliffe a great debt of gratitude because I woke up this morning, I opened God's word and I read it in English. It's a big deal. And as I read his story, it made me think to myself, would I be willing to suffer such hatred from people for the cause of Christ? I hope that I would. And his story made me a little bit more bold. The story of William Tyndale, who made it his life's work to take, pick up where Wycliffe had left off and give us an English translation for every man. Just like Wycliffe, he was brought up on charges by the Catholic Church. He finally finished the New Testament in English and began to distribute it through London, England, and then it was recalled by the Catholic Church. It was actually a crime to own a copy of William Tyndale's New Testament in English. It was a crime. They gathered them all together in London and burned them. And he was a wanted man. And when they finally caught up with him, they took him to the stake, they strangled him, and they burned him. You know what his crime was? Translating the Bible into English. And I sat down this morning and read my Bible in English because William Tyndale gave his life. That made me a little bit more bold when I read his story. I read the story of David Livingston, who was a missionary to Africa during the slave trade years in Africa. He loved the gospel so much that he traveled throughout Africa on foot to share the gospel with unreached people. He talked about how many times he sat at meals with people who he did not understand their language, who were hostile towards him, some who even hated him and threatened his own life, and he sat with them because he thought just some way he could communicate the gospel to them. One trip that he had made was a thousand plus mile journey that he carried on foot to get medical supplies only to get to his destination after having traveled for months to receive these supplies and find out the supplies had never been sent because nobody ever expected him to ever actually make it there. When David Livingston died, they cut his heart out and they buried it under a tree in Africa. They let his body sit out in the sun to preserve it. 
And a group of African men carried his body for nine months to a port so that his body could be sent to England and it's buried in Westminster Abbey. That was a dude who had some serious dedication to the gospel. And you know what? When I read that story, it made me a little bit more bold. And I thought to myself, when I go through that time of suffering, I want my story to be an encouragement to other people. About five years or so ago, I was at the gym and I dropped the kids off at, uh, at school and I was working out at the UFC gym in, uh, in uh, Waikele. I just finished uh, uh, working out there and I was getting ready to go and there's a guy in a wheelchair that wheeled up and um, big buff looking dude wearing an army veteran t-shirt and a wounded warrior patch on his backpack that he had and a totally awesome beard because most tough looking guys have totally awesome beards. Um, just saying. Uh, but he, he came and he was getting ready to, to load up his stuff on the, the, uh, the bench press uh, machine there and he grabbed a plate put it on there, and I said, hey, man, can I give you a hand? He said, nope, I got it. And so he went, grabbed another plate, put it on the other side, and grabbed another plate, put it on the other side. I go, well, this guy's going heavy today. And he got it, got it all set up. He got his wheelchair up. He pulled the, the, the armrest up. He got ready to slide over onto the bench. And I said, hey, man, you need a hand? Can I, can I give you a spot or anything like that? He said, nope, I do this every day, man. I'm cool. Thanks. I said, hey, appreciate your service to our country. It means a lot. He said, no sweat, man. And I got out to, to the parking lot, and I called Angela, and I go, I just met a totally awesome guy at the gym. She said, what was his name? I have no idea. No idea. I said, he's an he's a army veteran, paralyzed, and just there working out, doing his thing. And I said, I hope if something like that ever happened to me, I hope I would be that awesome. And I thought to myself, this guy's difficulty and his willingness to persevere in the face of difficulty encouraged me. And I thought to myself, If that ever happens, I want that. And here's the thing, in my life, when suffering comes my way, I want to live my life in such a way that people can look and go, oh, when that comes in my life, I want that. I want to have that kind of story that my suffering makes other people bold. A few final thoughts here this morning, we're done. First of all, our circumstances cannot steal our joy. Well, of course I'd have joy if everything was going my way. Really, Paul wrote from prison, Anybody had a reason to not have joy with Paul? Paul just did what God told him to, and he wound up being arrested for it, and imprisoned, and shipwrecked, and beaten, and stoned, and left for dead. But Paul says, hey, my circumstances aren't going to steal my joy. Uh Uh-uh. Joy comes from the Holy Spirit. Joy is a choice that I have. I choose joy today. I'm not going to live under the weight of my circumstances. I'm going to live in the freedom of a Spirit-filled life, being controlled by the Holy Spirit, seeking joy. My circumstances can't steal my joy. Our circumstances do not limit what we can do with Christ. They only create new opportunities. Imagine Paul. Paul's a guy who's been traveling for years, starting churches, preaching the gospel, gathering believers together, discipling, teaching, and now he can't do that anymore. What does he do? I can't preach anymore. I can't start any more churches. What can I do? I guess Paul's just gonna have to sit in prison and wait it all out. And Paul's like, uh-uh, no, sir. Life's short. I got I gotta get to work. <laughs> Somebody give me a paper and a pen. I got some stuff I need to say. Somebody give me a scribe. I got a couple letters I need to write. Hmm. I heard about that church at uh, at 
Philippi. I want to encourage them. They've been a blessing to me. Let me write them a quick letter. The Holy Spirit filled him with the words to say. We have the book of Philippians because Paul decided, I'm not going to quit just because my circumstances are less than favorable. I'm not going to quit just because things didn't go my way. No, I'm going to look for new opportunities. You may be sitting here going, Hawaii is the last place in the world I ever wanted to be. Good, God's given you a new opportunity. Well, this situation didn't work out the way I thought it would. Good, God's given you a new opportunity. Well, my, my marriage is struggling, or this didn't happen out the way that I thought it would. Good, God's given you a new opportunity. It doesn't limit your usefulness to Christ. You're never too old, too washed up, too beat up to be used by God, ever. You just get new opportunities. Paul, thankfully, didn't quit. He said new opportunities. Our story of suffering is the story of the faithfulness of God. If you're going through difficulty right now, just know God's gonna see you through it. And your story of how you suffer is gonna be coupled together with how faithful God was during that time. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Every single solitary time of trial, difficulty, or disappointment, I am here today to tell you God has brought me through it. It was a path many times I did not want to travel. It was feelings and emotions and circumstances that I did not wish to experience. But every single time God has brought me through it and I stand here today a better man, a stronger Christian, more grounded in my faith because of the path that I walked. So the story of my suffering is really just a story that God never quits and he's always faithful. Next, our suffering is the price of making others bold. It's gonna cost you, but again, the payoff is gonna be really good. If you and I do this the right way, other people look at our life and go, hey, if he can do it, I can do it. I mean, all he did was just really believe the Bible all he did was have a good attitude. All he did was just trust God. He can do it. I can do it. Nothing special about that guy. Hey, that girl over there, she doesn't have more of the Holy Spirit than I do. That guy over there, he doesn't have more of God than I do. They don't have more access to God than I have access to God. If they can do it, I can do it. If we do this the right way, our suffering can make others bold. But here's the thing. If you're suffering will bring other people to Jesus. Your life has to be rooted in the gospel. Paul had a big view of his suffering. He says, hey, the things that are happening to me, it's okay because it's actually caused the gospel to go further. People are being able to hear about Jesus that they've never been able to hear about him before because I'm in a place where I am, verse 13. And verse 14, he says, hey, other people heard about what's happening to me. It's caused them to actually have more boldness. They have more confidence in God because of what's happened to me. And so now I can help other people know how good God is. I had the blessing since the beginning of this year to know Kerry Matsushige. Kerry uh, is a guy who has an awesome story he's going to share with us this morning that's encouraged my heart and caused me to be a little bit bold. Kerry, I'm going to ask you to come at this time and just uh, 
share your story of what God's done in your life and uh, how His grace has been good enough. I started uh, coming to Huikala uh, February 9th of this year. Um, became a member in June, and I'm a member of the Relentless small group. Uh, Bill and Daniel lead that group. <coughs> um, I got saved in the middle of the 1990s. I don't recall exactly what day, but I do know that uh, in Easter Sunday, 1999, uh, I got baptized at Magic Island. Um, so I've been walking, trying to walk with God since then. <coughs> um, different picture? This is my wonderful wife, Kristen. Uh, we met 39 years ago and uh, been married for 33 years this year. Uh, Kristen was a dental hygienist and also uh, a double major. She uh, majored in fine arts. So she loved to do ceramics, uh, study Japanese art. Um, and uh, in 1995, uh, she retired from dental hygiene because uh, the AIDS crisis, the AIDS thing was kind of coming up. So she, uh, she uh, retired from that, but she picked up uh, rescuing cats and kittens. Uh, she and her friend were watching colonies of ki cats and kittens up at Chaminade University, uh, which was down the hill from our house. We live at the top of St. Louis Heights. And uh, because her partner lived in a condo and we had a, an old house, uh, our garage became the, the place for all the cats. And so I would come home every night, see another cat, and I couldn't decide whether that was a new one or one that we already had. So. She had a you know a real passion for the cats, uh, and and what happened is to this day I'm really grateful for the cats because that's what led her to Christ. Uh, she just uh, transferred uh, all the stuff that we were doing, worldly stuff that we were doing as a couple was transferred to the cats, and she was very selfless. Uh, she would uh, make sure the cats were taken care of. Uh, we spent a lot of money on vet bills and everything, but you know, it, in the end, it's worth it. Uh, she had such a passion for the cats that, uh, as as the cats, some of the cats had to be uh, euthanized. The vets would call and say, "Hey, we got to you know put down this cat." She would always, always go down. She would never let the cat pass away without her being there, and I would be there as much as I could. But it's not e it's not easy to do that. And the one thing that she was always saying to the cats was, you know, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Um, <coughs> so it turned out that uh, they, they got her to Christ. Um, so fast forward to what I call Hiroshima Day, uh, which is August 6th. It was 1945 when the bomb was dropped in Hiroshima. But August 6th, 2015, uh, the bomb was dropped to us. We, she got diagnosed with AML, which is acute myeloid leukemia. Uh, and what happens in that disease is that your bone marrow uh, produces cells that uh, are incomplete. They're called blasts. So they're, they really don't function. They just clog up your, the rest of your blood. So you get very tired. That was one of the symptoms she had. She couldn't walk across the room without feeling tired. You don't have enough 
red blood cells to carry the hemoglobin to get you the, the oxygen that you need. Uh, and so <coughs> we went to the doctor, obviously went to emergency. Uh, in the old days, you know, people couldn't last with leukemia. That would have been it. But because we, we now we, they have a, a procedure where you can filter out your blood, uh, filter out the blast, they call it, the, the old incomplete cells. We had a, a new lease on life. But then she had to uh, get chemo treatments. And for this particular disease, uh, chemo was always inpatient in the hospital. Uh, we went to Queens, and it was 30 days at a time straight uh, because you had to recover from the chemo. And the chemo doesn't really distinguish between good cells and bad cells. So it just kills all the, all the, the new growing cells. So it tons of transfusions and recoveries. So once she got through about four of these uh, rounds of chemo, uh, one of the tests came out positive uh, at Queens, and so we had to make our way to a cancer center, and we decided to go to um, Hutchinson, uh, Seattle Cancer Care Alliance in Seattle to get treatment and possible uh, bone marrow transplant. Uh, so we went there and prayed, of course, we're both Christians. Uh, and luckily, actually, you know, she, it was a false positive. So uh, we got to get, come back home. She did not need a transplant. And uh, they put her on a, a program for, we call maintenance chemo. So that was a little easier to do. <coughs> that was um, five days going outpatient. And then she would have to do that four to eight weeks, every four to eight weeks for two years. And they said, well, after two years, you know, there's a less than 5% chance that it would relapse. So two years later, in 2018, we were part of the 5%. So she relapsed. Uh, again, chemo twice. And then we went to Seattle in 20, I remember, Kamehameha Day, Jan uh, June 11th, 2018, to get the transplant. And it was a long, long journey because to do a transplant, you have to, they have to almost kill you because you're replacing your bone marrow with good bone marrow. And uh, these days they use stem cells instead of bone marrow, but uh, luckily we, had, we got a donor, uh, a German lady, uh, that we didn't, never found out who she was, but uh, the German army forces people to take blood tests, and I think there's a lot of German donors uh, of stem cells. Um, so, we got there, um, her transplant took place a day after her birthday in September 2018, and things were fine. Um, what I wanted to, uh, oh, mention, do you have the other picture? So here's a, here's a rainbow in Seattle, which, you know, we spent seven and a half months there, and I, this is the only rainbow that I ever saw, because we take, you know, I, I take rainbows for granted. I, I see those a lot here. You need the amount of you need rain and sun at the same time. And in Seattle you get one or the other. You don't usually get both. So this was the day before we left, uh, in in uh, January of twenty nineteen. So we you know, we left with a lot of hope. Um, God was always with us. We prayed together every day. Psalm 91 was our friend. You know, God is our refuge, God in whom we trust, a fortress of God in whom we trust. So we prayed that every night. Um, 
and God was good. So uh, a year, I guess last, last December, things started going south. Uh, she actually stood up one night and, and just stepped on her leg and it fractured and broke her femur. Uh, and that's very painful. That's the biggest bone you have probably in your body. Um, but, you know, we got through that. She put a, they put a pin in there and she was fine. A couple of weeks later, uh, cancer spots started coming around her eye. Uh, so she needed radiation. We did that for a couple of weeks. Uh, she got through that as well. It's just, I mean, so tough. I mean, she's the most courageous person, you know, I've met in my life. Just amazing. But, you know, we had God, we had God on our side. Um, no matter what, we know God had the best for us. So uh, one more chemo treatment she had to do. And we did not know that that would be the last one that we would have. So a uh, couple of lessons I wanted to mention that we learned from this whole thing. First, uh, Kristen, she learned about choice. And I know Pastor's been preaching about choice. Uh, you can choose to be up or down. You can choose to be joyful. And you can choose to love. And, and Kristen chose to be up, to be joyful, and to love. I learned on my side uh, that you can't judge people uh, from what they're going through and, and or what minor things you think they're going through because everybody, everybody goes through stuff. It affects people differently and what might be minor to you is major to that person. So while Kristen was in chemo fighting for her life, I had a chance to go surfing and take a break so I'm out there s sitting down. We're waiting for waves. This young young girl, probably around high school or college, she had to drive because she came out. She was so angry. She was always just complaining and and you know she said, "Well, you know, I got a parking ticket. You know, I I I parked the car. I thought I was gonna just run into the store and come back, and there was this thirty-five dollar parking ticket." And she was so upset. And I was sitting there. Uh, Kristen's there fighting for her life, and I'm thinking. You know, suck it up, pay the $35. That's minor. There's people, you know, people fighting for their lives. And then before I actually said anything, I, I was overcome by God. And, and I said, you know, I don't know what she's going through. It's really affecting her. She might not have $35 or, you know. I, I so I learned that lesson. And I also learned the lesson about uh, relationships that, you know, we're here for a reason. And it's relationships. It's our relationship with God and our relationship with ourselves. Um, so anyway, um, I kind of want to mention a couple of things where, we, uh, where you know, we both felt God was with us throughout this thing. First incident was, incident was uh, after Kristen got the transplant, uh, she got pneumonia. And so she had to go to the hospital to get oxygen. And she was in the hospital room. There's there's this there's this valve that comes out of the the wall that has a certain level of oxygen that you can put on. Well, she she exceeded that oxygen really fast, and so they had to put her to ICU. When we're in ICU, they hooked her up to this super oxygen machine, uh, and after a while, she maxed that out too. So the doctor said, "Well, what do you want to do?" They said, "You can either." get hooked up to a ventilator, and that ventilator is the same kind of 
ventilator that people are going through right now with COVID-19. You actually have to be induced in a coma and, and all that. And she and I decided, no, we don't want to do that. So we put the prayer request out to our friends, our Christian brothers and sisters, our family. And I, I witnessed a miracle. We prayed, and just in an afternoon's time, she weaned off the, the super machine, and she went back to the wall. And I saw firsthand how, you know, your faith, your faith can really affect other people. Uh, the, the nurses and the doctors were just surprised. But I can see that, you know, doing the job that they do, it, it picks, really picks them up when they see people of faith or, people or, or they actually can witness God in action. So that was the first incident. The second incident was when uh, Christian actually went to heaven, which was in, in January. Um, so she ended up getting the more, well, actually she got an infection. And the infection, the, perp the, the result of the infection was that her blood pressure kept dropping. And uh, they gave her medication for that, but after a while, you know, she maxed out on that as well. So I, s I told Kristen, I said, hey, you know, what do you want to do? And she said, I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. And I said, well, you know, I want to see Jesus as well. And we both said, I love you. I see you in heaven. And, I, you know, losing a spouse is just not easy. It's just it's hard to do. But we know, and I know, I'm 100% sure that Kristen is in heaven, and I'm 100% sure that I can see her again. So when you lose your spouse, it's like losing half of yourself. You have such a huge void. It's like, whoa, you know, what do I do now? So, you know, I've been feeling it, filling that void with God and God's word and God's people. And I want to thank this church and pastor for all the support you know, that you've been showing, and my Christian brothers and sisters in my small group, and I see all of you here, I just, you know, just, it buoys me up, um, and I, and I just want to, uh, say that, you know, we should all put God first, because God will never leave you or forsake you, I mean, I, I feel that right now, so with that, I want to, uh, let God's word be the last word, so this is Kristen's, um, favorite verses from Psalm 36 verses 5 through 9 thy mercy O Lord is in the heavens and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds thy righteousness is like the great mountains thy judgments are a great deep O Lord thou preservest man and beast how excellent is thy loving kindness O God therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings they shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life, in thy light shall we see light. Thanks, Gary. Thank you, brother. Thank you. I don't know about you, but when I heard Carrie's story for the first time, I made me a little bit more bold. Man, the things that I go through can't be compared to the things that he goes through. When I hear a story, I feel like the girl together a parking ticket. You know, like, <laughs> my problems are so small compared to what other people are going through. But you know, I, Carrie, 
started coming here at the invitation of a friend about three weeks after he lost his wife. And he just had a lot of joy. Um, the first thing he asked when he got here is he said, Pastor, I really want to learn more about how to share my faith with other people. Do you guys have like a program for that? I went through our evangelism training and took copious notes. And every week since then, he's like, hey, Pastor, I passed out two copies that paid in full this week to these two people. Pray for them. Hey, I got a lunch appointment set up with this guy. I'm going to share my faith with him. And he's not a believer, but pray for him. Hey, I got this friend who's a Christian. He's not walking right. Can you pray for me that God will get a hold of his heart? And just he's filled his life with the gospel. Uh, and it's, it's just carried him through. And if you spend any time around Carrie, you think to yourself, man, what a great guy. I wonder what his story is, not knowing that God took his suffering and brought something really beautiful from it. And uh, he's here today to continue to tell Kristen's story of, of faith in Jesus and how it continues on uh, even to today. So I want to leave you with that thought today. Whatever you're going through, God's got something really good planned for you down the road. It might not feel good right now, but it's going to be good in the future, guaranteed. God wants to use whatever you're going through for his glory and for your good. Allow him to do that. And God wants to use your story to encourage others. Allow him to do that too. We know for sure that Kristen's in heaven today because she put her faith in Jesus as her savior. Do you know for sure that if you die today, that heaven's your home? If not, today is the day that you need to make that right with God and, and come to faith in Jesus Christ and be saved today. If you're a child of God, would you be able to walk through a time like this and say, God's good, he's faithful? I hope so. I want to encourage you with that thought this morning. Whatever you're going through, just know this, God is faithful. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.